Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, everybody. Have a seat. I have very important things to talk about, so everyone stop all these conversations. Um, Before I get started, though, I wanted to make sure that everyone had a seat because we have a video for our scripture reading. I've been very blessed to be able to reach out to people who have long been a part of our community but have been joining us from home, and it's so sweet to be able to see their faces. They're actually here today, but we get to see them on screen, too, so tune your eyes to the screen. Hi, we're the Reeds, Talia, Sterling, and Una. We've been part of the LBCF family since 2012, and we live over by El Dorado Park. Today we're reading from John 1, 10 to 14. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, I don't know about any of you, but when the children are all up here, when I see them on the screen, something touches my heart in such a deep way of seeing how cared for our kids are in this community, how loved they are, how well they're taught, how encouraged I am that Miss Mary is up here and then goes into the classroom and tells them you are loved and chosen how grounding and central it is for them. And so I'm encouraged. Um, Truthfully and honestly, today I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous in in what we're about to talk about because if I think about all of the different, uh, let me talk about something I know very little about, cars. So um, all of the things that have to make a car go, um, that there are some things where you could You could drive on a flat tire for a while. You could do some things without certain parts of a car. But the thing we're talking about today um, is kind of the, um, it's kind of the transmission of the car. If this part falls apart, things stop. Things don't work anymore. Um, And we are talking about love. And I am nervous about it because the more that I figure out what, what, God's love looks like and how I'm called to love those closest to me, how I'm called to love those whom I don't know, and how I'm called to love those whom I don't like. I realize how bad I am at this and how disqualified I actually feel to be up here um, to be talking about this. Um, So, my name is Ryan. <laughs> I realize I, I, I've gotten into a habit of not introducing myself, but if you're new here, my name's Ryan. I'm the teaching pastor here, and I've been doing it for about a year now. I was a part of a teaching team for um, about three years before I came on to be the teaching pastor, 
And in my uh, life, I also do photography and storytelling, and I'm so, um, I've always been really passionate about the Bible. And so to be able to be up here and teach is, is, a, is, an, is an honor, and I really enjoy it. We are in a series of John 1, um, where we are just covering this same text each week, and we are trying to immerse ourselves into this text. And if that's not something that you've taken an opportunity to do, um, I would encourage you to read John 1 at home on your own and sit in it because it's beautiful. And I think that it is the master class in talking about the beauty of Advent. And so uh, last week I was up here and we talked about peace. And, um, and this week we were talking about love. And so often how I've seen sermons on love kind of play out, they are either um, into intellectualized, where people start to think of something, some really creative way of teaching it. There's sentimentalized, where people um, are just swimming in how it feels, love, and I think those are both great things, but um, as, a, as a pastor, there's a temptation to say something new or clever about this word, about this topic, and that brings me a lot of anxiety because the, I, I really think every sermon about love, um, all of the clever things that you could say when I was trying to find what are some really good examples of it. Um, I, I, had, I had heard a lot of these, and so if you have grown up in church, you've probably heard a lot of the different, uh, a lot of the same sermons about love, and the temptation to want to say something new or to talk about interesting I ideas about it or just to sit and how it feels, I think actually distracts us from one of the main points that we are called to when we talk about the love of Christ, and that is to, to sit and to remember, to allow yourself to pause. And we did this last week. We had opportunities to sit and breathe. I'm going to invite us once again to pause all of the all of the anxiousness that sometimes we feel even coming into church, all of the ways that we might be mentally fast-forwarding to what might be awaiting us after church. Um, one of the best practices whenever I do some sort of guided meditation is it, is it, is it asks you to become aware of your own body. It asks you to actually pause and feel the weight that you're putting on your seat. To remember that, that you're here and you have a moment right now to pause. So I'm going to take a moment and just ask you, if, if you haven't yet today, or maybe if you haven't in your week, take a, m a moment right now and just take a few deep breaths and be present. read from John 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that is the text that we've been focusing on for the last three weeks. And today we are talking about where do we see love. And as in a gospel that is so, um, it, it uses that word so thoroughly. If you read the gospel of John, the word love is probably found more common there than in any of the others. But in that opening verse, in this master class about Jesus, we don't find that word once. And that surprises me. And I always am curious about that. But I really believe that what John is trying to do is show us what the actual description of the agape love is truly like. So um, there's a lot of ways that this word is used. Um, the feelings that I had when I was falling in love and the kind of pre the the amazing preoccupation that that is and the distraction and the inability to focus on anything else um, was fantastic and horrible at the same time um, and my mom actually saw me falling in love before I even knew it was happening because she asked me once after a choir show she said who was that girl that you couldn't stop staring at the whole show and I was like I wasn't doing that I was so indignant that she would call me out like that but um now I see in my marriage that as I'm learning how to love that true love not true love places itself in a posture of learning of how do I love this other person how do I love these other people better what can I learn about them to show them love that they will receive? And it forces me to be in a posture of curiosity toward the other. That as long as I assume how to love well, as long as I assume, it actually prevents me from being able to love because the true love that I see, that love in action, that very unsexy sort of love in action that calls us to pay attention and look at how does the other receive love and how can I show up for them. The agape love, love in action, is something that um, as, we, as we talk about it, and I think as we get to the end of what I'll be talking about today, that word was actually being defined by the life of Jesus. So we will often hear a lot of words to talk about love. Um, we probably heard this phrase, God is love. And unfortunately, both the word love and the word God have been used to justify some really unloving things. Both of those words have been used um, to justify the killing of other people, kicking people out of families being used as a tool to force people to accept abusive and destructive relationships. 
This word has been, has been used as a weapon of pain for so many people, which is why as I sit here and as I prepare to talk, I'm so aware that the neighborly love that we see talked about in the text and the fatherly love that we see talked about in the text, that so many people have not experienced that. That so many people in the name of love have experienced the opposite. That in the name of love, people have cut you off. In the name of love, people have abandoned you. In the name of God, people have done horrible things to you and not treated you like a neighbor, not treated you like a friend, have not been a good father or mother to you. And this, this giant hole that we have of understanding what love means and how to receive it, that we have to bridge that gap first because it says that with the love you've been shown, you will then go love others. And so we have to understand the love that was shown to us, and that's why I think John 1 is so important and so key for us to get because if we don't grasp that love and we don't understand what's been shown to us, um, we won't have a great example of what good love looks like. In Mark 12, 31, it says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Shema out of Deuteronomy 6, 5, this text that every, that every good Jewish boy or girl grew up repeating. It was a part of their life. They knew it forwards and backwards, and it was a part of the covenantal promise that they leaned on and they were hoping for in their coming Messiah that that would be made full. And then Jesus amends that and says, yes. And just like they had also read, but very often conveniently had left out, to love your neighbor as yourself. That was also a huge part of life that was always talked about. It says that we will not carry vengeance or grudges against our neighbors. And how often in the church life that we even have now do we hold both of those up as co-partners in what it means to be a fully formed human being, a fully formed Christian person, that we would actually make the reality that we would not hold grudges or vengeance against neighbor as high a priority as loving God. So often we will ignore neighbor in the name of spirituality and justify it and have a lot of ways of talking about it as if that's okay. And I, we have to become really clear that any amount of spirituality that, that causes you or justifies your ignoring neighbor is actually very dangerous. You are in the crosshairs of God's judgment in that moment. And that's something we need to take very seriously. And I know that we're in an Advent season, and I need to cheer this up real quick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and we will get there. We will get there. But um, I, like I said, this idea of love that we see in John 1 is something that we can't miss. We can't leave church one more time thinking that love is just this thing that you are called to only receive, that love is this thing that, that you do towards others when they are important to you or when they're close to you or when you feel it. Because if we leave church one more time, thinking that that's how it is, we go out so unchanged. 
and so unprepared to show the love that we actually see show up in Advent. This idea of neighborly love was not even a uniquely Christian concept. This ethic of reciprocity finds harmony in God's design for how things should look. Loving neighbor shows up across faith practices in so many realms. We will see this idea of taking care of neighbor show up so many places. Love in the Hebrew, ahava. Jesus spoke a um, kind of brother language to Hebrew called Aramaic, and it was rachma. And this word love, um, as it was being translated, so for those of you that might not know, Jesus spoke Aramaic, and so when the New Testament was being written, his words had to then be translated from Aramaic into the Greek. And when that happened, there was an amount of effort placed in how to translate what he's talking about because each language has its own um, very complicated, nuanced, multi-tiered understanding of what words might have meant. And so in Greek, there was a lot of different words for love. And so when Jesus started talking about this rachma, this love, the Greeks had to find a word that encapsulated what they were understanding Jesus to talk about, what he was talking about. And uh, they, they landed on the word for many times of this word agape. But what was interesting was that in order to create a really good word that encapsulated that idea, they did not travel back into ancient history to try and draw from these ancient concepts they saw something so transformative in the life and teachings of Jesus that they used his life as the definition for love. So I know that that's a concept that might be really strange and not landing at home too quick, but how we talk about it now is, is if anybody's ever said, like, look up this word in the dictionary and you'll see this person's face next to that word, word, we've, we've kind of heard that used, that's almost literally what the Greeks were doing with the word agape. They said, look at Jesus. He's the face of the person that you'll see when you look at that word. And they made sure to do that. And so when they reference this word agape over and over again, that's why they will use examples from his life of how he taught, how he lived, what he did. And so if we, if at all you are wondering is this thing that I'm experiencing? Is this, is this relationship that I'm having? Is this, is this stuff that I'm being taught from church, does this reflect the love of Christ? Does this actually show off what love is in Christian community? We have a very good living, breathing example of how we should be able to define that. And we should always be encouraging each other and ourselves to go, does this line up at all with the life of Jesus? Because if it doesn't, you should and we should take issue with people calling that love. So, agape love then is love in action, but more specifically, it is love in action that consistently subverts the idea of deserving. The Christian love in action is constantly subverting 
this idea that somebody would deserve it and someone would not. Lent for me is this powerful time where I'm called to reflect on how am I making space at my table for people that would abandon me, mishear me, sell me out? How am I making room? And there's a, there's a very important distinction to make here that a lot of people have, experienced, have used that exact same experience and that exact same description to justify or to force on people to stay in abusive relationships. And I want to be really clear, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that there are people we can't stand. There are people that are so easy to bypass. There are people who, who we have a really hard time showing love towards. And there's a, that the challenge of how Christian love shows up is put most of the test in that place. So do we have good pictures of what love looks like? And ultimately, how can we learn the real trick, the real turn here, the real important, like, end goal here is how do we put down our preoccupation with asking who is my neighbor and finding ways to justify all of the ways that we ignore people who, are, who, who need that love desperately. How can we see the divine that's in each other? So I have a video that I saw and I've seen a couple of these and um, I know that at the top I said like we have to be careful not to just allow sentimentality to direct our understanding of this but I really think that the first time I saw this it touched me in such a powerful way of what I really long for the loving agape embracing church to look a little bit more like and so let's play this video and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it after Does it bother you that you have to get your hair cut a little bit? No? It did. It did? But you understand why though, right? Why'd you have to get it cut? Because the medicine makes you better and it'll grow back later. But you know, you're strong and you've been strong and you're going to keep being strong. And you're going to be all right. You know that, right? And anything that you go through, I'm going to go through with you, okay? This might not work too bad. I have to pull the scissors off. Here, hold on. I'm going to cut my hair with you. Because anything that you got to go through in life, I got to go through with you. And you gotta stay strong, and I gotta stay strong with you. You understand? So I'm gonna cut my hair so we both go through it together. It's time. What do you think? Now we look like twins. 
You really look like my mini me now. Yeah. Uh, I think it's time to go see Jern. What you think? When I saw that, I saw two people doing something so amazing for somebody else that they didn't have to. And one, we have a little bit more of an expectation of father showing that kind of love for his son. And the reality is, a lot of us in here never experienced a love like that. And then somebody who didn't have to show that kind of love is a barber, a close friend, choosing that. One of the things that's most powerful to me, and I'm not sure if you saw it, but the joy that the father took in doing that for his son. No amount of, now you owe me anything. Not even a hint. And also this ability to say that now he empowered his son to go out into the world in a new way, knowing that, that his father was behind him. His father was with him in all things. One of the most powerful things is that as his, son, as his father was cutting his hair, and I'm not sure if you've ever met anybody with dreads, those take a lot of work, and it's a lot of, and there's a lot of meaning to them. And so the actual, the actual process of cutting them off is not only um, showing a, um, an amount of solidarity with his son, he was laying down something that he had built in pride and, and joy and work and effort and laying that down gladly with a smile on his face, and his son the whole time is staring at him as it happens. And how healing and how much this set his son up to know what his father would lay down and join him with, even when he didn't have to. 1 John 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than one who would lay down his life for his friends. I see two things happening here. A father showing great love for a son and a friend showing great love for a friend. I see God's agape love in that. I see a good example of somebody willing to take something on that they don't have to for the sake of being with someone else. And I think the question is, who has loved you like what friend has chosen to not walk away or who was with you when you were terrified? Who showed up for you in that way? Um, and I think I have a little bit more of a connection to an experience like that as I was going through my own cancer journey and I ended up, uh, it was the f my first surgery um, I was in the hospital up in 
Reno. It was in the middle of my sophomore year of high school, and um, I was not really close to anybody. I was, I, I had sort of like very surface level friendships with just about everybody. I was well liked, but I always wondered, would anybody show up for me in this place? And I remember not knowing it, but as I laid in my hospital bed for that sort of uh, five-day recovery period, my friend Dan walks in, and he just has a trash bag with VHS movies that were all ridiculous and stupid, and he just showed up, and he put that, and he's like, all right, we're going to watch some m movies. And I remember in that moment, he... He didn't ask me for anything. It had nothing to do with what he brought to me, just the fact that he was willing to be there at a time when he didn't have to be. And nobody had to be. No one owed that to me. And some of us have never experienced that, but if you have, you know how powerful it is. And the fact that that moment, I can remember pieces of that exact conversation that I had because it landed so powerfully with me. And we have the ability to do that for other people. You have the ability to powerfully change and direct what people understand about God's love by your ability, by our ability to show up when we don't have to, by willingly stepping in. It frees us up to receive peace and love. And now as I close, I want to show you guys three words, and I want to talk about a story that I think embodies this the most. And those three words are Rhea, Kaver, and Kariba. In Luke 10, 25, we have the story of the Good Samaritan, which I think if we want to talk about what is a really clear picture of what this looks like in action, the Good Samaritan, I think, is one of the best places to look. A scribe came up and said, what can I do to, to inherit eternal life? He said, you know what's been written, love God and love neighbor. Jesus said, do this and you will live. And it says, justifying himself, he said, who is my neighbor? And the word that he used is kariba. And that word for neighbor, um, there were three separate words for this concept of neighbor, and they all had to do with proximity. And kariba was when somebody was right up to your chest. And they would use that term because very often how, how it would experience your actual inner body being able to feel somebody else's heartbeat, somebody that close to you. It was a word for neighbor that was reserved for people that were intimately close to you. In fact, that word is also used in very just geographical terms. When it would talk about something is near or someone's coming near or someone's coming to your house, they would use the word kariba. And so... He says, who is my kariba? Who is that person that is intimately close to me? Because I'm willing to show that person care. Like, let's talk about it. Let's create it. And, it's, and we see now how he was trying to justify himself because the word that was used for neighbor, when it says love your neighbor as yourself, it uses the word rea kaver, which is further away and further away. It says the way that we show love to people is not defined by the ones who are closest to us in proximity, the ones closest to us in how we believe, the ones closest to us in just our church body. But it's saying, okay, let's talk about how we love people 
but Jesus showed this picture, and he, and he says, okay, there is a person who is hurt on this road, and if you know anything about that story, there's a lot of reasons you could have blamed the person who was robbed on that road because it was a road that people were robbed on, and he went alone. And so we see this person who has all the all the blame in the world owed to them because they put themselves in the, into this precarious and awful spot. And then these people who should have leaned down to care for him pass by. And then the enemy of this person, this despised Samaritan came along. And then Jesus, as he does, because he is a genius, he says, then Jesus Kariba, that man, the Samaritan, Kariba, he drew close. And what it's saying here is that the love of God that we have toward neighbor, that those people that we are called to be neighborly to, as you would an intimate, close person, is not defined based on how they come to you, but the fact that you make it your effort to step closer to them. Jesus painted this picture of this despised person making the choice to go close, to close the gap and love that person. He refused the inclination to, to distance himself. And he made that person, that hurting person, that person who had no deserving right a Kariba, an intimate, close neighbor, based on the fact that he went to them. And the love of Christ that we see in John 1, in this Advent story of John 1, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ closed the gap. It has nothing to do with whether you think you deserve it, has nothing to do whether or not you think that you are too far away or you have a belief that you're questioning or you have a loneliness that you can't seem to get rid of. Jesus Christ in the Advent story closes the gap. And that's the love that we are called to. So when I see the church creating more and more places and more and more ways and more and more ways of talking that separate and keep people out, they are participating with the antithesis of the agape love. They are participating with something that is the opposite of the kingdom. And so what I hope for is that as we celebrate Advent, as you take time, that yes, absolutely, you should take a moment and throw off all of the ways that we think God is keeping himself away from us because of X, Y, Z, whatever you could fill in that blank with, it says that he is actually a hound towards you, closing the gap towards you at all times. That no matter where you are, he's closing the gap toward you. And I really long and I would hope that all of you could experience that. And at the same time, and in the other hand, I hope that you could provide that amount of powerful love for others. And sometimes that's really hard to do because there's such a variety of needs and cares and longings in a group like this. But I think that you could do it for one. I think you could pick one person and do that for them.
And I think it's time to get really specific with how are you showing that love. And I think that what might need to happen now as we leave this place is put a person on your list to show that love toward. And extra brownie points if you don't like that person. And extra brownie points if that person is undeserving. Because that's the love we've been shown in our most undeserving place that the love of God closed the gap and tabernacled with us and was with us. And I think that that is the agape love that we are called to embrace, that we're called to walk in. And so I'm going to bring Gabby up to talk some more about prayer, and she's been teaching us about prayer because I think that if we leave here and we just talk about it or if we leave here and we don't spend some time embracing sort of where we might need prayer in this, we would leave ourselves out. And then after that, I will come up and lead us into communion, and then we'll close. So would you all welcome up Gabby? So I'm going to ask big things of you guys today. Um, I want to share with you, um, out of Luke again, but I want to share with you about the people that God spoke to. Um, in Luke um, 1, it talks, uh, when Mary came in to visit Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth said that, um, she said that when you walked in the door, the baby, the moment you came in the door and greeted me, my baby danced inside of me with ecstatic joy. Great favors upon you, for you have believed every spoken word to you from the Lord. So God spoke to a baby who was still being formed and still cooking in his mama's belly. And he, he can speak to anybody. Um, later on, it talks about the angels appearing to the shepherds, the stinkiest uh, people that um, in that day and age that people went, oh, no, 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 you don't talk to them. We don't associate with them. That's who the angels appear to first. Um, and he's, he speaks to, can speak to everybody, and he does. Um, later on, after Jesus was born, they went to the temple in Luke 2, and um, Simeon was there. And Simeon had been waiting. He had been promised by God for years before that he would see the Messiah before he died. And at the same time, they presented the baby, and Simeon was prophesying over him, Anna, an old woman who had served God for years. She was this amazing woman. She lost her husband early on. She was only married seven years, and from seven years on, she prayed and fasted in the temple for, I think it was 80, 86 years. And um, she spotted that baby, and she knew who he was. And she came and worshiped God. At the same time, Simeon was prophesying over him. So she was probably 106 years old, they're guessing. And so God speaks to all of us, unborn, lowly, 
everybody. So he's going to speak to us today, and he's going to use us to speak over each other. So I'm going to dare you to love, because love is risk. God risked when he said, the, um, John 3.16 says, God so loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if. And that if is the most powerful word. There's a risk in that word. There's risk of rejection. There was risk that he, he, Jesus would be killed and crucified. There was risk. He, God knew that there would be some that would believe him, and he knew that there would be some that would reject him, and he knew that there would be some that would even kill his only begotten son. But that word is so loaded. It's loaded with love. So we're going to stand in if today. So I'm going to ask you to wait on God for a word for somebody. We're going to stand up. We're going to find somebody that we're not familiar with. And we're going to wait on God. We're not going to ask them to say, what can I pray for you about? We're going to ask God, what can I pray for them about? It might be a picture in your head that you see. We're going to risk looking foolish. <laughs> and it might be a word or a prayer or a blessing. It might be a song that's in your head that you can share with them. You don't have to sing it, but you can share it. Um, so we're going to do that right now. <laughs> So stand up, find one person, and wait on God for them. <laughs> 